Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Rookie Mistakes. You are my Santa's little helpers. I am Santa. You guys are the elves in this scenario. It is Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. A happy new year to come. I, of course, am sick. Merry Christmas to me. I felt it coming a few days ago and I just prayed that it wouldn't get any worse, but of course it did. So that's just what I get for staying up late every single night. It finally has caught up to me. I have one week left in Tokyo and then I'm going back to reality. It is becoming bittersweet because I am excited to go back home. It has been a long journey, but at the same time, got to figure out a lot of things. So... As far as what I did the last week, as I'm winding down here, trying to get a lot of things in that I could see before I go, I went to the fish market in Disneyland this past week, went to the fish market on Monday, and there are two fish markets in Tokyo. There's the Tokiji fish market, which is the old one and then the market move the actual market the auctions of the tuna which is one of the things that people like to see you go at five in the morning i think you wake up at two in the morning people say and there's no way to get a train or anything like that or a bus so you have to take a taxi essentially if you want to go see this tuna auction so didn't end up doing that, but this auction now is at the Toyusu, I think it's called, market, which is still very close to the Tokiji market, but it's all indoors. And the Tokiji market's outside, minus the fish auction or the tuna auction that is indoors. So, went to the Tokiji market first. To be honest, wasn't much to see there. I was a little bit disappointed, but. After that, we headed over to the other market and I got to see the ending of the tuna auction. Basically, they still had all the tuna out, but they were preparing them. I had no idea tuna was as large as it is. I, for whatever reason, I was thinking more of your common fish sized like that. I didn't know they were these gigantic fish and you must get enough tuna to last a year if you were able to catch one of those. But another surprise to me as well was that these tuna, like this auction, the amount of money people spend on these things, and it is businesses, I believe, buying them. But I think that day it said somewhere that I want to say $250,000 was the cheapest it went for, maybe even $400,000. I don't remember exactly what it was, but... That was another thing that really blew my mind. I had no idea it was that expensive. So that was a pretty cool thing to see there. Didn't that for only a few minutes, just check that out. And then after that, which is the more popular thing to do at these fish markets is I went to go eat sushi for my first time ever in my entire life. I've never had raw fish. I thought it was exciting for me because I was going to get to do it in Japan. Of course, if you want to do it anywhere in the world, Japan's the place to have sushi for the first time. In this market, there are so many different sushi restaurants and the most popular place is called Sushi Dai. A lot of the things you'll read, they'll say that any of these sushi restaurants you go to, they're all very fresh fish and they're all good, so you can't really go wrong. But Sushi Dai is hands down the most popular of the restaurants that could be seen right when you get there. 
It opens at five in the morning. And we got there, I think, at around 7 a.m. because we went to the Takiji Market first, maybe 7.30 in the morning. And as soon as we got there, there was a gigantic line already. And we proceeded to wait for three hours to eat this sushi dai restaurant. Couldn't believe we did it, but we just happened. We just did it. You know, what are you going to do? It's supposed to be the best. I think there's always that fear when you go to a country, whatever it may be that you're doing. There's always the fear if you should do the thing that's the most popular, right? Or if you should pass on it to do something else. So I just decided we got to do sushi dai because it is the most popular. And if it turns out not being as great as people say then you know what at least you did it so waited for three hours i don't think i've ever waited that long in my entire life actually for any type of food so this was a first for me so finally three hours goes by we get in there around 10 30 or 11 o'clock and sit down how it works is you get nine pieces of sushi most of it was nigiri sushi for those that don't know nigiri sushi is the one where the fish is on top of the rice and then you also have your rolls i think that is what i'm most used to at least the price was around 40 dollars us which was not bad by any means that's one of the more cheap experiences that you could have because you're gonna have your extremely cheap sushi in japan and then there's these really popular restaurants with the chefs that are some of the most well-known and best sushi chefs in all of japan those restaurants i think for the course meals they're usually in the hundred dollar range so this was actually pretty nice because you're getting really high quality sushi from a popular place and you're not paying a ridiculous amount of money that was pretty reasonable so it was nine pieces of sushi and then you got to pick one extra basically whatever you liked you could choose from the menu or you could pick a totally random one and then you also got fish soup sort of like a miso soup but it had fish in it that was very delicious and then we were also served green tea so pretty simple not anything super fancy and not a ton of food but it was filling to be honest i loved the fatty tuna that was one of my favorites that i could eat oh my lord i could eat hundreds of those it was so so delicious how it just melts in your mouth a lot of the sushi or a lot of the fish i should say wow that's a tough one a lot of the fish i should say little tongue twister there a lot of them melt in your mouth but then other ones they are very chewy and you you definitely know you're eating something raw that's how i felt nothing i ate i thought was bad but some of them with the texture and the chewiness i wasn't really a fan lucky me my girlfriend's japanese right so she's talking to the chef we had there was three chefs i think there was 16 or so seats in the whole place so what they would do is they'd wait until everyone was finished essentially and then they'd swap out the 16 and a new 16 would come so that's why i think we're the fourth set of 16 to get in but because there are three chefs, the one we had, my girlfriend was talking to him throughout our little experience. And so he recommended these these eggs for our last piece of sushi, the one we got to choose. And what they ended up being were the sperm eggs of a codfish. And apparently this time of year, those 
eggs are especially good. They're in season. So that's what he recommended to us. And my girlfriend didn't actually think that that was sperm eggs we were going to be eating because I guess the translation in Japanese, it's not sperm. It doesn't, it doesn't mention sperm in Japanese. There's nothing of the sort about that. So I thought, you know what? Why don't we just do it? Whatever, it's supposed to be good. So we both ordered that and come to get that. It looks like little... It looks like little baby worms, these white little worms, just all cut up, very weird looking, and put it in my mouth, take a bite, and I'm just greeted with an explosion. We'll just put it that way. It was immediately something that grossed me out. I felt like throwing up immediately. Like the literally the moment I bit into it, I was just like, oh my God, just the thought of what I was eating, it really just clicked. It really it really hit home what was in my mouth at that moment and I had to swallow right away. I couldn't I couldn't stomach having that in my mouth any longer. I will say it was tasty. It did taste really good, but just having that that feeling in your mouth, it was just and like the explosion, the initial explosion, it just wasn't something that ugh, that's definitely the weirdest thing I've ever eaten in my life. I think I have a nice little comparison now if anyone ever you know ever get into a conversation oh what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten or something like that or the grossest thing I could say that I remember in Fear Factor they used to eat these disgusting things and I used to say to myself like how do these people eat these things they used to eat testicles and just all this gross stuff and I guess you know I kind of ate something like that not as intense as some of these animals they used to eat but you know what I got my own little I get my own little award for it so ate that and the two people next to us these two guys, they were from Australia. They had just graduated from high school and they were traveling. I recommended to one of them because they were still looking for a piece of sushi to order for their last piece. And I said, hey, you know what? You want to try this? It was good. Like taste-wise, it was good. And the chef recommended this. But I will warn you, it does taste or it does, I guess, I guess the texture is what you would expect from that type of food and one of them wasn't brave enough he decided not to do it he got something else but the one guy got the the sperm eggs as well and he was a lot braver I would say than I was because he bit into that bad boy and he I'm not even kidding chewed that thing and kept it in his mouth for a good 30 seconds I don't know how he did it god bless his heart but he just really savored it (laughs) he really really savored it and it was it was good he said but once again he felt the same way I did there was two guys to the left of those Australian guys as well and they you could tell were very they were like sushi connoisseurs essentially it seemed like they came to the sushi place a lot and they knew a lot about different fish and what to order and they were recommending things and they were very impressed with with us for eating those two uh those two sperm egg sushi rolls of the codfish. So that is my crazy story, my crazy food that I have eaten. No one can ever say now, I put this on my Instagram, the photo's up there, but no one can ever say now that I'm not open-minded because to eat that, you must be pretty open-minded, I would think. That was my sushi experience in Tokyo. It was positive i don't expect to really eat sushi now going forward because the quality is just so much better in japan that i wouldn't really want to risk it in la 
I think the only places I would eat for anyone that's familiar with these restaurants, the only places I'd really eat, I think, raw sushi again would be, what's that one called that I'm never going to afford? The most expensive sushi in the freaking universe. It's so expensive. That's another thing about sushi. It's just not really economic for me. It's not really practical because I love to eat. I like to eat a lot of food and sushi. You're paying a lot of money for a small amount of food. I think, for example, if you wanted another fatty tuna roll at this sushi dive place, it was something like eight bucks just for a little little fatty tuna roll. So I understand why it's so expensive. And another thing I thought was interesting too was that the sushi changed in price depending on the time of day. So I figured because like the closer they get to running out of the sushi for the day, it becomes more expensive because it's technically rarer, right? So that's what I thought was interesting. They told us that it depended how much the individual rolls were going to be if we wanted to order anything extra. So that's just a quick side note. But yes, in LA, I think I would eat, I think Katsuya, I'd probably try sushi and then maybe sugar fish. And then the other one is still escaping me. Ah, yes, Nobu. Yes, Nobu, I would eat too. Other than that, I don't know, unless there's some really popular high quality sushi place I'm not aware of in Los Angeles, I'm going to continue to not eat the raw fish. So that was that. The next day, Disneyland had already been to Disney Sea. So this time we went to Disneyland and it was fun. I got no sleep going into that night because of some, we'll just put some, we'll just say drama. I don't really want to get into it, but I literally got that, that Monday night, I got two and a half hours of sleep and we went that Tuesday this last Tuesday to Disneyland so let's just I just really had to rally and it was not the most ideal thing I definitely was not looking forward to the the day just because I was tired once again I will bring this up I've probably brought this up I don't even know now how many times but you really underestimate how important health in general and sleep more specifically is to just your overall happiness and the experiences that you can have because you can have the greatest experiences in the world. You could be traveling everywhere. You could be seeing these amazing things, but if you're sick or if you're just really tired, it's not as great as it would be if you felt good. So I think it's really important to try and stay healthy. And I'm a terrible person to be talking about this because I've been going to bed late for, man, what's it been now? Four and a half months? Just like totally wrecking my body, but not on purpose or anything. I don't know why I can't sleep, but it's really shown me how important it is because you could be, you could just be seeing the coolest thing as ever, right? You could see aliens. And if you're exhausted and you've been sleep deprived, aliens aren't going to look that cool, which is maybe a good thing because you're not going to be panicking that the aliens have invaded finally. But it really does just make things a little less spectacular when you're exhausted or sick. So got to Disneyland and it was a fun, fun little day. I will say it is different than the one in Anaheim. The rides, I would say, are better in Anaheim because it's nice you get all of the the good rides essentially like the ones for the adults all of those are in Anaheim right they're all in the one park they're all in Disneyland in Tokyo a lot of the rides are divided between 
Disneyland and Disney Sea, the ones that you would normally want to go on. For example, Indiana Jones is in Disney Sea, while Pirates of the Caribbean is in Disneyland, or Big Thunder Mountain is in Disneyland, Space Mountain is in Disneyland. So you're kind of divided between what you're able to go do. The food is terrible. <laughs> In both Disneyland and Disney Sea, that's my final opinion for you. I personally like Disneyland's food because I will say a lot of it's terrible as well. I shouldn't say terrible, but it's average. It's what you'd expect, right, from a theme park. It's not like we're trying to get five star dining or anything in Disneyland, but in in Anaheim, there are things that you can eat that are actually pretty good. For example, clam chowder in Disneyland amazing the best thing always something i look forward to when i go to disneyland and in tokyo these these disney parks there's just nothing really good honestly like i think disney sea definitely has better food than disneyland the one thing that was nice was the ice cream they had at disneyland you got a nice chocolate mint ice cream cone and then you could get two scoops of ice cream that was delicious really enjoyed that other than that wasn't wasn't anything to rave about as far as the food goes. Disneyland, though, is really, I think, an amazing place. I was thinking about this while I was there. I can't think of any area or anything in general that's brought so much happiness to that many people in the world. I think the stats for this year, for example, of all the Disneyland theme parks, 150 million people went to the parks this this year or this past year I should say I think it was 2017 yeah 150 million people that's a lot of people and you never think of anyone being sad when they're at Disneyland it's a happy place it's a magical place so think of that 150 million people every year will say going to this one place or these places across the world that's really I just can't think of anywhere else that brings that much happiness to people because when you think of people at Disneyland you never see anyone really bummed out right it's never like you're looking around and you see someone sad didn't even see anyone crying any little kids crying really you know it's just a it's a happy place and you see all these shows they come up with the imagination the creativity they have the the things that they're able to accomplish with these parades and these shows at night. It's really an amazing thing to see. And I think it's a very important thing to see to foster a sense of creativity, I think, when you're young, because it really is just breathtaking. I don't understand either how these people that work at Disneyland, I, I was thinking about this, the other day, I could never do that as a job. These people have to do these parades all day and they have to be all happy-go-lucky, smiley. I'd imagine they'd have to do it every single day, right? Like if they're working multiple days. So your whole day is basically doing the same thing over and over again and acting like this Disney character. I don't know. Maybe they enjoy it, but that's just something I don't think I could do. I would get so bored of it. Oh my God, it'd be terrible. At the end of the day at Disneyland, they had a another light show. This one I'd never seen before. It was on the the Magic the Magic Kingdom, the castle. They had the this show, and the castle is actually bigger than the one in Disneyland in Anaheim. So that was pretty cool. The Phantasm show is definitely better than this light show I saw, but it was still a lot of fun. It was cool. It was a unique thing to see, so I enjoyed that. 
some of the rides as well at this Disneyland in Tokyo, they're a lot better because a lot of the rides, they're the same as they are in Anaheim, but some of them are better, which was a cool thing to see. Winnie the Pooh, as an example, that ride is just night and day different. Like the ride here is just a hundred times better than the one in Anaheim. So if you got kids and you happen to be going, they'll definitely enjoy that. It's one of the more unique rides I've ever been on. So that was interesting. A different, a different ride. Pirates of the Caribbean, exact same. Big Thunder Mountain was the same. It felt like it was a little bit more of a windy ride and then also space mountain that one felt longer for whatever reason than it does in anaheim but it was also the same ride but the one in anaheim they have the countdown and then they have the music playing as you're going through the ride the the one in tokyo there's no there's no countdown there's no music playing you just go through the ride so that kind of takes away from the experience a little bit but what are you going to do it's still a blast that's my favorite ride i think of all time is Space Mountain. I just love how that ride is designed. I don't like drops. I don't like flips. I'm fine with the windy turns and that's all Space Mountain is. It's a pretty fast ride and it's just these windy turns and that's it. Love that. If that ride could be 20 minutes and I could just ride that all day, that would be fantastic. Now that I've been to both, here's what I'll say. I think the rides are better personally at Disneyland. In Tokyo, I like Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain, there's Splash Mountain, they have Pirates of the Caribbean. Those three rides right there, Base Mountain, Thunder Mountain, and then Pirates of the Caribbean, those are my three favorite rides. So definitely like the rides more at Disneyland. I think for kids as well, you get the more popular Disney characters in Disneyland, those rides. So you get your Peter Pans, your Alice in Wonderland, Winnie the Pooh, It's a Small World is there as well. Most of the kid-friendly rides, the ones that they're going to really recognize, I think, and the ones they're going to enjoy, like the ones you go to Disneyland for with your kids, those ones are in Disneyland. As far as Disney Sea goes, what I think is better, the food's better, the overall park is more unique. It's a cool thing to see if you get the chance. So I thought that was nice about Disney Sea. The rides, though, you really only have, as an adult, if you don't like Tower of Terror, which I don't, and you don't like huge drops, which they have a ride similar to Jurassic Park and Universal Studios, it's that kind of drop, really big drop. If you don't like those two things, all you really have then, as far as roller coasters go, you have Indiana Jones, which isn't really a roller coaster, and then you have right next to it this other roller coaster that is fun. It has a little flip in it, which if you're not a fan of flips, then you're probably not going to want to go on that. So there's that. And then the kids rides, I think, are all right. They're definitely not as impressive as the ones in the in Disneyland. So honestly, overall, I'd say go to Disneyland if you had to choose one, if you're all about the rides. Disney Sea is impressive and something fun to see. Just walking around that park is a lot of fun and they have some cool interactive things to see. You'll also see the Fantasmic show in Disney Sea. I said that in the Disney Sea episode, but as a reminder, if you want to see the Fantasmic show, that's in Disney Sea. So overall, too, the show is better. I think like the night show that you can see is better in Disney Sea. I think the shows 
there were parades in Disneyland with the whole Christmas theme going on because we did go for Christmas. We went in December and the show in Disney Sea was also Christmas themed, but it was a lot, a lot more different because there was no parade or anything that went on. So it was just them in this center of the park where the Mediterranean Harbor is what it was called in this big body of water. It was all the people surrounding that body of water and just singing and all the dancing and things like that. So you do have some differences between the shows as well. I think what I would recommend overall, it's tough because seeing Disney Sea is such a fun experience walking around there and the food is a lot better I thought but the rides are just so much better at Disneyland and what overall what are you going to Disneyland for you're going for the rides kids and adults the rides are better in Disneyland so I would have to say probably stick with Disneyland I think if you had to choose one go with that one because it is closer to what you're used to if you've ever been to Disneyland and once again it is very very similar to Disneyland in Anaheim or I'd imagine in Florida so you're not getting a super unique experience you'd get more of a unique experience in Disney Sea. bear that in mind but the things that your kids are going to want to see if you have kids and the rides that are really enjoyable and fun those are all in Disneyland so what are you going to do? Got to go with Disneyland, man. I've almost made it now through the beginnings of winter, we'll call it, in Japan with nothing but a fleece jacket for $18, a beanie, and a scarf, wearing pants every single day. I've made it. One week and I've officially made it. So if you are going to be in Japan, let's say in... And I should say specifically, if you're going to be in Tokyo in October, all the way through the end of December ever, rest assured you don't have to spend a ton of money on winter clothing. That was something I was really worried about because I started this whole Asia trip during the summer. So all the clothes that I brought, I didn't bring anything for warmth. Everything was just shorts and t-shirts. I brought one pair of pants. I had a light jacket and then I had two beanies, but once I got to Japan, got a scarf from my girlfriend to borrow, and then eventually it did get cold to the point where I needed a new jacket, and I, I risked it buying this fleece jacket, not buying something heavier. I figured I'd be able to get through with just that. Probably one of the best value items I've ever purchased, so can't believe I made it through with just that, a little old, little old fleece jacket and a beanie and a scarf and you can make it through. Talk about cheap ways to get through the cold. When I started in London back in March, it was still snowing in places and it was really cold. And I all I had back then was a scarf, a beanie once again. I had gloves and then I had a different, I had a down jacket, more of a down jacket and that was it. I didn't have anything other than that. And that was also enough. I did have long sleeve shirts back then as well, but that was enough. I was really cold, but I was able to get through it because winter clothes, like winter jackets are so expensive. It's ridiculous. You're looking at for a good one, probably in the 200-ish dollar range. And then you think of all the other things you can really, you can really go crazy, honestly, with winter, with winter clothing. It's so expensive. So being able to get through a winter 
or the ends of winter, I should say, going into spring in Europe and then the beginnings of winter in Japan with very cheap items. It shows you you can do it. A few other things I'll mention before I end this episode. This is going to be a quick one today. Didn't really plan anything because I've been sick and I've just had a hard time getting ahead. So one thing I started doing once again, started posting on Instagram and we're back to the the old mentality that I had before because I just feel like I'm sort of just posting to post. I don't feel like there's a direction with what I'm posting. I'm just posting once again, food and travel photos and trying to work on that follower account. When you spend three hours on Instagram engaging with people's posts, liking and commenting on photos, and then you're posting right consistently again, I'm putting in that effort to figure out hashtags to use and then editing the photos, choosing the photos to post, thinking of the caption, add that with the liking, commenting, that's like almost a five hour process in the day, four to five hour process, we'll say to do that. And that can obviously be either increased or decreased spending more or less time doing that. But to put all that effort in and then (laughs) to like lose 25 followers, you wake up and you're 25 followers down after you gain 16 for the night so it shows that you gain 16 but then you look and you're minus nine so technically you've lost 25 right that's just such a bad feeling and it's it's discouraging because with instagram and this is this is the thing for me is really with anything i guess you could say with social media is you don't really know why something isn't doing well you don't know if it's just we'll use instagram as an example you don't know if your post you don't know if it's just a bad photo and people don't like it. You don't know if people are seeing it. You don't know if you just used bad hashtags. There's just really no way to tell why a photo isn't successful or not. And another thing too is as I've been posting again, it's like the photos get no likes really compared to what it used to get. And I don't, once again, I don't know if it's just because it's bad photos and people don't like them as much as they did when I was in Europe. I don't know if Europe's just a more of an appealing place and more people like to see photos from there than in Asia, or if it's because I haven't posted in so long. It's been almost what? It's been a little over three months since I started posting again. So maybe that factors into why it's not getting as many likes, my photos, because just people aren't seeing them because I'm not really in their feeds anymore because I haven't been posting. So that could be a factor as well. I don't really know for certain and that bothers me. I wish I did know. One other thing I learned, which really bums me out, is apparently when you switch your Instagram profile to a business profile, Instagram's algorithm treats you differently than if you just had a personal profile, which makes sense to me. I understand why it's the case. What Instagram is essentially saying Instagram says, hey, you're a business profile now. You should be able to pay for promotions. So we're going to not show your content as much as we would a personal profile because we're expecting you to pay for it and you can get traction and views and engagement from doing that, which is the traditional methods, right? Like if you have a company, you pay for advertising and that's how you kind of, you know, that's like the trade-off. You get the eyeballs, you pay for advertising. So that's how Instagram works. And I've read some things online where people say, yes, it's really screwed with their engagement that they get on their Instagram account switching to the business. Some people say it hasn't been affected. Other people will say when they switch back to a personal profile that their engagement will go back up to what it was 
other people will say it doesn't go back to normal. It still is bad. So I don't really know what to believe, to be honest, but that just really made my heart sink because if even if you make a business profile and switch it back to a personal profile, if that still like screws up your engagement to where a lot of people aren't going to be seeing your posts, then that's really sad to me because it's like, how do you fix that? And another thing that's really bothering me too is Instagram has these checks and balances we'll say in place where you're not allowed to like or comment on photos too often or too fast, I guess is the best way of putting it, which I understand because it's for bots. It's so you can't use a bot and just have it constantly liking photos. It times you out. Instagram will time you out to where you can't like or comment or I guess you could like maybe but you can't comment on a photo it gives you a timeout and then if it continues to catch you then it'll just ban your account it's called shadow banning actually is the specific term for it but it will eventually ban your account if you continue to you know get flagged for this and I'm getting flagged for this I'm not using a bot or anything I'm literally like commenting on people's photos liking them right and I'll do like 40 of them and then I'll get this stupid ban and then I can't do it for the rest of the day and I have to wait and it's like frustrating because it's it's like why is that happening you know that shouldn't be a thing especially because I'm the one liking and commenting and it's there's nothing you can really do about it other than letting it time out and then I guess I I don't know maybe liking and commenting on photos slower at a slower pace but that used to happen to me too as well but it would happen when I'd get around 80 to 100 posts then it would happen but now it's happening a lot earlier so I don't really know what's going on Instagram honestly is a nightmare to me this is just me complaining about Instagram I think it's important to go through the struggles of Instagram at least what I'm struggling with everyone struggles with this to a degree and another thing I really need to keep in mind is the ratios I think when you don't have a lot of followers it's really easy to see 50 likes on a photo and be like I'm a loser no one likes me or just be discouraged right because just thinking oh this photo gets 50 likes but you really need to keep in mind the ratio of likes to your followers. So that's 5% engagement, right? Let's say you have a thousand followers, you get 50 likes on a photo. That's 5% engagement, not terrible by any means. 10% is the holy grail of enge- like the engagement percentage you want to shoot for. 5% is good. 3% average. That's what a lot of people get. And I looked at Conor McGregor's Instagram. I was checking out his Instagram the other day and I was curious, how many likes does he get on his photos? Because he's a popular guy, right? He's got almost 30 million Instagram followers and he barely gets 3% engagement. So does he have a bajillion followers? Yes, 30 million, okay. But the engagement is still really low. And I think that's important to keep in mind because as you gain more and more followers, that's going to translate to more and more likes. So yes, you have a thousand followers and you're getting 50 likes, but maybe if you had 10,000 followers, you're getting 500 likes. And you always need to keep that in mind because it's really easier to get lost in the numbers whether that's how many followers you have or the likes you're getting on your photos. That's something I seriously struggle with. I need to get better at even right now telling myself this. It's like, it still bothers me. It's like, no, I want to get, I want to get more likes on my photos. But a lot of these, these celebrities, even they don't get 
insane engagement. So that's not something I think it's necessarily a great idea to put so much stock into and invest so much thought over the fact that, you know, you might not be getting the numbers that you want. So that's a little bit of advice to myself. I need to get better at that. I thought all that was really interesting because I learned that and it's discouraging. So what are you going to do? I think the best way to look at Instagram, what I'm trying to start doing, it's almost like you're putting positive energy into the world you know that whole idea of what you put in you get back like put really good vibes out there do nice things for people because it's the right thing to do don't have an agenda you know be a good person and usually the universe will like kind of give it back to you in return i think that's how i'm going to start viewing instagram where you just have to try and engage as much as possible be friendly Try and talk to people, message them, interact with people when they comment on your photos. If someone messages you, continue to put up stories, Use utilize Instagram, use the functions that are available to you, put up stories, post photos, and be consistent with it. And then maybe the Instagram algorithm, right? The holier than thou, the almighty Instagram algorithm, maybe then it will start to work in your favor. I think I th- that's really all I got. That's the only thing. And it's still, it's really discouraging to do that because like I said, you've put so much effort, you put so much mental energy and time towards doing this, this Instagram. And then you just get, you just get shot down, man, the next day. It's really tough. So at least for me, it is. And I'm not really like a huge social media person. I never was. So maybe that's part of it as well. I have a lot of respect for these these people that have these Instagram accounts and that's what they do for a living or even part-time because a lot of people as well, they'll have these Instagram accounts that are absolutely amazing and they'll be doing it on the side while they're working full-time. So I don't know how they do it, but the level of detail that people put into their accounts, whether that's just the way that the feed looks making sure the colors all coordinate and you have a theme and constantly sticking to that theme and making sure you're still getting photos. It's really difficult. So hats off to people that do that because I know for me personally, like trying to keep a theme, my Lord, I can't get enough photos to keep a theme. It's, I can't even imagine having to stick to one thing because that's why I started initially to do food and the whole travel thing because it just made it easier to swap between photos. I didn't have to always worry about having a travel photo. I could do, oh, here's a food picture too. It was a lot easier to do that. So these people that are just like landscape photographers or people that just do fashion or whatever it may be and to just constantly be able to do that and keep coming up with photos, it's really impressive. So once again, hats off to those people. It does seem to be getting more and more difficult to stick out. That's something I'm noticing as well on YouTube, Instagram, whether that's ad revenue or just getting your content out in general. It really seems like it's once again heading in the direction of the big businesses. It's all about the advertisement money. And so everything's being geared towards what looks good to advertisers and what's going to result in the dollars. That's one of the things that was controversial for the YouTube Rewind video. 2018, the YouTube Rewind video is just a video YouTube puts out every year. They hire a production company and it's just basically celebrating, or at least that's what it used to be. It was celebrating the creators. It was celebrating the big moments in YouTube every year. 
And this year's video is the most disliked video in the history of YouTube, which is really funny to me because it's YouTube's video, right? And they have the most dislikes ever. Justin Bieber's baby is number two. But this video was hated by a lot of people because people just felt like it was a video catered to advertisers and all the content that was selecting things in the video was just really catered. It was a kind of a PC video that was not meant to rattle anyone right or rub anyone the wrong way. It was there's no controversial things in the video as far as like what happened in YouTube or the big events really of YouTube. It was more of just like a almost like a a paid you know promotion to like oh hey th these are the advertiser friendly things that happened on YouTube. There was a lot of late night hosts people in it. Will Smith introed the video which i guess hats off to him because he started his youtube channel and he's killing it this past year but he's not a youtuber so to have him intro the video i thought was kind of weird so it just seems to be getting harder and harder to be an individual in the social media space with all these companies coming and one other thing i'll mention because i've been thinking about this too as far as podcasting goes more and more lately i'm seeing these people come out with podcasts these social media or content creators or whoever it may be, right? And it's made me question whether or not I'm going about it the right way because podcasting for me is just not like a thing. I think podcasting has become so popular and people see how useful it can be as well as beneficial monetarily because so many people now have a podcast. It's almost like a fashion accessory. It's like you just have a podcast, right? That seems to be in the celebrity world and the world of social media influencers. That seems to be the the new thing. It's like, oh, I have a podcast, you know? It's the thing to have. It's like a, it's a statement, right? And so all these people are just coming out with podcasts to come out with podcasts. And it kind of bothers me because... And I don't think this is really justifiable or I should feel this way, but it bothers me because for me, podcasting is something that I really enjoy, like listening to podcasts. And I think this is the case for a lot of people. It gets you through the hard times. It could even just get you through like the boring days at work, right? It's it's a thing. You feel like a connection to these people you listen to and you feel like you're a part of their lives and it just really brings a brightness, I think, to people's days and to see people who just like can just snap their finger and start a podcast and it's already really popular and they're just doing it because, you know, it's like the thing to do basically right now because like once again, they're trying to take advantage of a new medium. That's what a lot of people do is and you'll see you'll even see this with YouTube. People will see something that's successful on YouTube and then like everyone starts doing it right. Everyone's always copying each other and everyone's just taking advantage of that next new thing. And it's like everyone always has an angle behind why they're doing something. I think that's my problem is that there's an angle behind what they're doing and they don't actually love it. And once again, that's not necessarily a justifiable opinion because who knows if that's the case right and even if that is the case then who really cares but to be someone who's just trying to make this his career like that's the thing that's always been what I've wanted to do most is have like a successful podcast I would love that because I think it fits my personality best and it allows me to do what I want with 
my curiosity with being able to like talk to people and talk about a wide range of subjects eventually when I start that podcast. But it makes me, I think, more so than anything, it makes me question whether or not I'm going about it the right way with just trying to build an audience like over time, the struggle, the grind of it, because... Another thing too is not even just social media influencers or YouTubers, people will start podcasts when they have expertise in an area and it's a way for them to get into the content creation landscape without having to just focus solely on content creation over a long period of time. So it makes me question whether or not it's just better to kind of focus on developing expertise in an area and then pursuing the content creation aspects of it because a lot of people do that which makes sense and that's one of the things that you essentially need you either need to entertain whether it's videos that you're putting out or doing a podcast or you need to have expertise in an area where you can inform people about something and they can learn from you that's usually the two paths that you can take. And so with mine, it's more of like, once again, I just want to have podcasts where I explore different things I'm interested in with people that are experts. And I don't know if it's something that you can just build over time, like just the grind of years after year and just getting interest over time, if that's the way to go, or if I should be focusing on developing expertise in something so that's something I've been thinking about as well lately if the approach is right because very very simple approach that I had was Instagram right travel the world people are going to see my photos and they're going to like the photos and they're going to follow me and then that's going to funnel people into the podcast and I'll have the link there and then people are going to listen and I just don't know anymore if that's the most effective way to go about it. I also haven't been pushing it as hard as I could be. There's definitely a lot of things that I could be doing to see if that's actually a approach that could have a lot of success. So I think once I get home, that's something I'm going to try to see if that's the case. Really quick too, I understand that people have built an audience doing something else and that's why they're able to translate a podcast so quickly. They're able to, you know, like start a podcast and get a pretty big following right away. I understand they did the work and they grinded it out for years and years doing whatever it was that they became an expert in or like whatever they were able to build an audience in. And then that audience essentially translates or those skills translate into the pot, like into a podcast. And that's why. So I'm not hating or anything like that, but once again, it's like I'm questioning then if that is the better way to go. Really good example, I watched a episode, I guess Logan Paul, the YouTuber, the controversial YouTuber, he started his own podcast and I think he's on like episode 13 and it's already got 800,000 subscribers on YouTube, the, the podcast channel, and who knows what his, his listens are or anything like that for the podcast, but... It was really good, too, to be honest. Like, the episode I listened to, I think he's found a medium where he could be really successful if he continues to do it. And it was interesting, too, to read the comments because he generally gets a lot of hate. But most of the comments were really positive. And I think people are really digging him in this in this medium of podcasting. So I think he could be – I think he might have found his thing because he's not – 
making these YouTube videos where he's trying to be overly enthusiastic and doing these shock factor things for his audience. He can also change his demographic with the podcast. He can get like more of an older audience because most of his audience, I think, is young kids from his YouTube channel and podcasting. I don't think that really translates. So he can get an older audience. And then he's also just being himself more. It's more just showing who he is. So I really enjoyed the first episode that I watched. It was with Brandon Schaub, who's on The Fighter and the Kid, one of my other favorite podcasts. So it was just a really good episode, and I was really surprised. But that really made me think, like, you know, like, he literally just just made a podcast. And because he's such a big YouTuber, and he put in the work there, you know, hats off to him that he gets this really successful podcast right away. It's not like he had to grind it for 10 years to get the podcast to be really huge or anything. It just... It's, he's able to translate his audience. So yes, just thoughts I've been having this past week or so. That is going to be the end of the episode. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas. Hopefully you didn't get coal. Hopefully you were a good boy or girl this, this year. And I think for the New Year's... I kind of want to do an episode just combining all the episodes that I've done so far, maybe like a best of the best or like useful things to know, because that's generally what people do on podcast is they'll do the best of the best episode for the New Year's episode, just looking back on the years. So maybe I'll do something like that. I'm also thinking of just telling my travel stories because I haven't really talked about that yet. And since we're at the end of my travels here... I thought maybe I'd just talk about some of those. That would be like a fun little listen. You don't have to like listen to me complain about Instagram, you know. (laughs) Don't have to listen to me complain or talk about my problems, but we'll see about that. I think I'm leaning more towards the story, the story aspect. Have some nice stories from Mon Travels. Once again, Merry Christmas, everyone. New Year's resolutions, that's another one. Maybe we'll even talk about that next week, see if I'm going to make one or not. Usually I don't do one because I know that they're just kind of stupid things that people end up not following. Thanks for listening, guys. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review if you enjoyed it. Instagram's Kanjay Hancock. Email's Hancock at gmail.com. If you have questions, if you want to know about Instagram, if you're wondering about how it works more or if you need Disneyland Disney Sea advice for Tokyo, if you want to learn about sushi or where to eat sushi in Tokyo, send me a message or email.